0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Mastermind FM. Today with me I have Chris Gunners and this promises to be a very interesting episode for me and for you because I think that we do have a lot of things in common. We have similar interests for sure. And so I'm looking forward to see where our approaches might be similar and where they might differ. So Chris, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much
0: okay so the first question obviously we have to mention that you were the creator of com, which was one of the biggest if not the biggest health related and diet nutrition related website in the world and you sold that to healthline a couple of years ago if i'm not mistaken yes and so let's start with that because i think that's what you are most known for and i assume that's like the biggest thing in business that you've done so far, so why don't you tell us a bit about you and how you decided to create Authority Nutrition?
1: Yeah, so back when uh, I think it was 2011, when I was a, a medical student, I started thinking about ways to make money online because I've been working at a Domino's for a long time, and I th- thought you know I could I could probably find a way to make a living online somehow and uh, I made some websites that weren't very successful but I ended up starting Authority Nutrition and that one kind of just took off immediately and became very big and it was growing almost every month for the first few months and uh, it ended up going over 10 million visits per month
0: yeah that's huge
1: for a long time before I eventually sold it to Healthline so Authority Nutrition was the uh, biggest nutrition website in the world at the time, but uh, not the biggest health website. Yeah, Healthline used to be the second biggest, but after they acquired Authority Nutrition, they uh, soon after that, they became the biggest health website. Nice.
0: Okay. And do you still work with Healthline at the moment?
1: No, it's been almost two years since I quit. Okay. But uh, I sometimes talk to my old staff. They're still working. My full-time staff in Iceland are still working yeah. for Healthline, and I talk to them occasionally.
0: Just curious because I came across some articles that were under your your name recently in April. Because Healthline is actually a website I do follow every now and then, and I came across some some articles that were presumably by you, but maybe they're they're just updates of older articles. Yeah. All right. So. When you talk about dominoes, was this in Iceland or was it in the US?
1: Yes, in Iceland. In Iceland. Obviously. Yeah, I, I, I've always lived in Iceland, although right. I'm, I'm staying in Thailand now. Uh, I have a girlfriend okay. here.
0: Interesting. So that's the first thing that I wanted to talk to you about, actually. So I come from Malta, which is a much smaller island, but a very similar population size. So I was wondering whether you have ever thought about the advantages and disadvantages of coming from a small country when trying to make something of impact online. Yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that.
1: Well, I think it kind of, uh, probably depends on, on the person. Like for a lot of people, networking is a big part of becoming successful in a business, including online. But, uh, I don't think it made much of a difference for me because I'm so introverted. I didn't really do any networking and didn't even try. So I'm kind of uh, someone who just wants to do it uh, on my own. But I think it can definitely be a disadvantage because it's harder to meet people that can help you uh, move forward. Mm-hmm.
0: And in Iceland, did you always have like the technical conditions at least to build a business?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, Iceland, I think we have among the best internet connections in the world. So almost every home in Iceland has fiber internet. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, there's no uh, no technical problem with it. I, I think you could, you can build a website anywhere with internet and a laptop.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, one of the questions I had as well is, what do you think are the personal qualities that one would need to become an authority on the web and this is a question i get asked a lot myself because i've built wp mayor which is a wordpress authority website now i have my own personal blog which is growing as well so people ask me like how do you manage to become an authority and, and more than mu- in multiple domains which is something that you've also done so I wonder if you have any tips for personal qualities to nurture if you want to become successful by building authority websites.
1: Well, I think you uh, you definitely have to have kind of a well. I don't know if you have to, but it's definitely a plus to have a, a kind of an obsessive personality. <laughs> yeah. It's not something you can just do like a few hours a day and then just not think about it for the rest of the day. It's something that I just become. Completely obsessed with, and it's on my mind. Basically, every waking hour. This also helps with the uh, like first phase, like when you're building a website for the first time. You're probably not going to get a paycheck until at least after a few months, and uh, it takes a special kind of person to stick with it until that starts to happen. I think that's it's one of the reasons uh, most people who try to succeed online uh, fail it just takes so long to you know get yeah. this initial traction
0: so when when i was reading your website say one thing that stood out to me was how authentic the whatever you write whether it's in health or in and the finance space like the posts come out as authentic thank you and that's one thing and it's also got me thinking because okay the health i'm not an expert in nutrition or health but You also run StockAnalysis.com, which is your latest venture. Yes. And when I was reading through the the blogs, it kind of felt very similar to what I do because it seemed to be that you got obsessed on this new topic and you were just writing what you were learning about. I don't know if that's how you approach things. That's how I do it. And it kind of felt very similar when I read it.
1: Yeah, that's definitely how it is. I actually... uh Before I wrote about, started writing about nutrition, I had been obsessed with it for a long time. So I already had some knowledge and I was also in medical school. So I had a bit of a scientific background that definitely helped. But like with my new finance website, stockanalysis.com, I didn't really know anything about investing until after I sold Authority Nutrition and I started investing myself. So I definitely don't consider myself an authority on finance or stocks. I just, I think I have an ability to read information and like translate it into words that are easy to understand, like in plain English human terms. Mm So that's pretty much what I do with most of the articles. It's knowledge that I've gotten, you know, from reading online and maybe a few books. And I just basically translate it into uh, plain English.
0: Mm. I think because I, I read a lot of websites. Which supposedly teach how to make a successful blog. And it always feels very artificial to me, you know, like even when I think of like building a list and doing this and that, I kind of don't even feel like doing it because it, se- it feels like I'm doing marketing. And what I really care about is writing about the topic that I'm obsessing about. Yeah. And so I think th- that's where the authenticity comes out from because you're writing about something that's fresh. You've recently learned it. Most probably. And you're just trying to organize the thoughts in your head. And when you write, it comes out very authentic and very like structured, which is what people want to read, you know? And probably if I write now about WordPress, having been in the, the WordPress space 15 years, you know, now I would probably not find it so easy to communicate things to a beginner just because I will skip a lot of things that are obvious to me now. But when I started with finance and investing four years ago, I didn't know anything either. So I have to learn, like, what's an ETF, you know? And when I'm learning, I'm these other questions are popping up, you know, like, w- which exchange to buy it from, which broker to buy it from, which, how, how are taxes on ETFs? So, so those would be topics that would be obvious to someone experienced and he maybe wouldn't mention them in the post. Yeah. And... As a result, it would be less useful.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like, if you if you're an expert on something, like you're not that good at communicating to a beginner. Mm-hmm. Even just the words you use, you know, they're just they may be like complicated industry terms, but yeah. to you they're just like regular words. But to somebody new, they would have to like put a lot of mental effort into understanding, like interpreting each word.
0: So let's go to the nutrition thing. So nutrition was the real focus for you more than health or fitness like nutrition really is your niche what got you interested in that in the first place
1: um it was kind of my uh my number one hobby for a few years i used to be obsessed with the paleo diet when that was uh becoming popular for the first time i did read a lot of like more scientific type of blogs i usually like that type of content more not like scientific papers, but like blogs that talked about studies in plain English. From reading these types of sites, I, I learned a lot about nutrition and the science behind it. There was no website that combined the scientific and the mainstream element. And I think that's kind of uh, one of the reasons why Authority Nutrition was so successful. I did like keyword research, I targeted common search phrases, but I wrote articles that were in many ways, similar to the scientific articles that mm-hmm. I had been reading. So I explained, I you know, looked at data, I uh, referenced studies, and uh, it turned out a lot of people really like this type of content. Uh, the problem with the uh, scientific blogs is that they don't really do keyword targeting or anything. Yeah. They just write about like topics that are not exactly something that the average person is searching for.
0: Yeah, it's a very interesting niche because on the one hand, you have this a uh, lots of scientific journals and papers, which are way too technical for the average person. And then on the other hand, you have the bigger websites, which are very kind of hype and marketing focused. So it's hard to trust them. Yeah. And so you fit in right in between having an attractive and easy to use website and easy to understand content. Which brought the real information from the scientific point of view. Yes. That was, I guess, the best thing about what you did.
1: Thank you. After Authority Nutrition became successful, there are like hundreds or thousands of similar websites now. So I think I definitely started a trend.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Did you ever branch out into other things like public speaking or YouTube or anything else? Or did you just focus on writing?
1: Uh, I only did writing. I've never been uh, really good at like speaking. I'm always better at writing because I can write and then I can edit before I publish. But I would like to be able to speak publicly, but it's something I would definitely do like a Dale Carnegie course or something before doing it because uh, it, it's a skill that I would need to develop yeah. for sure.
0: You need to become good at it and then implement it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Same methodology, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel the same here and people tell me like, why don't you do YouTube and courses? Like I know I'm good at writing and I can edit as you said. And so I feel very comfortable doing that. Yeah, And I've actually spoken maybe once or twice in conferences, although they always tell me to speak at the WordPress conferences. Like I don't even know what to speak about honestly, which is funny because I've written so many articles. And I guess anyone could be turned into a speech, but yeah, yeah, that's how I feel too. So let's talk about the team building process. Where does one start to cross over from becoming a one person website into having a team? And what are like some problems that you encountered when building a team?
1: Uh, it was definitely a long process for me because I was so uh, I had this perfectionist attitude towards the articles and everything on the website. So it took me some time to be able to let go and trust other people to do some of the work. It took me some time to build up a team. I don't really have any any good tips on how to do it because
0: well, maybe we could we could think about the process that you used, yeah. Let's say like before you wrote everything yourself and then when you have your first person who's helping with content, what was the process that you were using with that person or more people?
1: Yeah, initially I hired some writers to help me write articles. In the beginning, I, I edited all the articles myself to make them ready for publishing. But eventually I also hired an editor. So after that, I was able to increase the content production quite a bit. I think it depends on if you have like a content based website, then you need first writers, then editors, and then when you have a process, you can start ramping up content. I ended up making one of my editors like the head editor. So she basically became the person that just ran the entire content production for me. She ended up hiring all new writers, new editors. And uh, all I did was assign some topics at that point. Interesting. Yeah. Do
0: you ever feel like you're overwhelmed by content that you want to write?
1: Yeah, definitely. Like my current site, so a lot of what I'm doing is programming. And I found that uh, that is incredibly time consuming. I I really don't have time to produce a lot of content and program these uh, stock overview things that I'm making. So I'm kind of having to uh, split my time between the two, so I can't write much. If I can get this new site to start making some revenue, then I'm gonna hire writers mm-hmm. so that I can focus on the programming, or I might hire a programmer so I can focus on the writing.
0: Yeah, going back to the Authority Nutrition website, how I'm curious about the process of how the sale went, how they approached you. I'm guessing they were not the only people who approached you over the years because people do approach websites like that about acquisitions all the time you know so how did Healthline stand out from the rest and how was the process of selling the website
1: they had a, a person uh, working full-time in a uh, business development whose job was basically to acquire other companies uh, and he emailed me just out of the blue. And uh, I ended up uh, doing a Zoom meeting with him and talking to him. I actually didn't want to sell the website at first. We uh, exchanged a lot of emails. I ended up going to San Francisco to meet with the team and I got an offer. And eventually I decided not to sell the website even after all of that. But a few months later, I actually had a, there was a Google update that caused the traffic to go down by like 20, 30%, which is Uh, Something you have to deal with if you have a website that relies on SEO. um, It's just part of it, I guess. But uh, at that time, I just didn't want to have to deal with it again. It had happened a few times before. And uh, it was always uh, stressful and uh, a lot of effort to try to fix it. And when that happened, I actually uh, messaged this business development guy and told him I was ready to sell. After that, they started due diligence process where they had attorneys and some uh, finance people. Uh, they came to Iceland and went through all our documents. and then we had like a team of lawyers on each side writing a contract. and that took like several weeks, I think, to complete. And then I ended up selling the website and then I worked for Healthline for more than a year. They, they wanted that as, as part of the contract, but I didn't I didn't end up doing much after I started working for Healthline. I just basically stayed in Iceland and kept on working on the site, but much less than I, uh, I was doing before.
0: How did things go with the team? How did you communicate that to your team? And what was the reception from their site as well?
1: They knew about it, that it was something that was being considered uh, selling the website. I don't remember exactly how I announced it to them, but they were fine with it i explained that they would be keeping their jobs they would just become a part of this bigger company basically nothing much changed for them initially you know some processes changed they had to do more meetings and stuff but uh, the day to day work was the same
0: right so when i was looking at uh, i came across a facebook post where you were announcing the sale and uh, as always happens with these kinds of acquisitions a lot of Well, several people were commenting about the selling out aspect of things and they were expressing their disappointment or anxiety about the content and the direction of the website, about not being as authentic as before. So I was wondering, because I'm sure that was also on your mind when you initially refused to sell the website. How do you feel about it now?
1: So nutrition can sometimes be like religion politics, you kind of have an ideology and you Mm -hmm. start to become very defensive about your opinions. I used to be like that. When I started the website, it was actually kind of a low carb paleo diet focused website in the beginning. But eventually I, I just became a general health nutrition website. And I just left all that ideology behind. And I tried to be objective and just write about all sorts of topics. So at that time, when they uh, approached me about selling, I wasn't really ideological about the nutrition anymore, so that wasn't a big deal for me. But I realized a lot of my readers—they um, are ideological about nutrition and health. So, so this bothered them because Healthline is definitely more of a mainstream website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in nutrition, there's mainstream nutrition, and then there are like many different types of alternative nutrition, and depending on which like ideology you fall into, you think you see content that writes from a different perspective, and you just see it as something really bad. That's just part of nutrition these days. Interesting.
0: Another thing about websites, do you think that a website like this can serve as a kind of how did you say, as a learning experience for the author and a way of purifying and organizing their thoughts over the years and then possibly come to a stage where it's no longer serving that purpose and perhaps as an author you would, that's when you would start to consider selling or taking the backseat and such a website. It certainly felt that way for me in the WordPress world where I started out learning about WordPress to build a web development business. And over the years, I started writing about all the things I was learning, started to meet people. So the website really helped me grow as a person and as a business person. But there came a time, maybe I would say six years in, where, again, I made the transition as well about I started quite... First, there was the learning stage. Then there was the ideological stage. And then you just start thinking more about the business side of it, you know, how to make money, how to maintain relationships. Yeah. And then after that, that's when you're like, maybe I should do something else because I'm no longer growing personally. I wonder if you relate to that kind of trajectory.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I learned a lot from the website in the beginning, like you say. Uh, It helped me grow as a person. But before I sold it, I think that definitely wasn't the case anymore. It was kind of, I guess I had gotten bored with it. I wasn't as excited about it as I used to. I think Mm -hmm. when you get to that point, it's a good idea to sell if you can. I think
0: it's very hard for people to understand as well how you can get bored owning a website that's making a lot of money and it's having a lot of impact in the world. Yeah. But I think for people like me and you, from what I understand, it's less about the money and the fame and much more about the personal growth and satisfaction that you get from actually working on this website.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. So how did your life change after the sale
2: of Um,
1: It definitely became a lot more relaxed. I think. For like a year, I actually would say that my well-being did not improve after selling initially. So I had this website on my mind for many years, but after I sold, I kind of didn't really have to think about it anymore. So there was definitely a gap that, like my psychology, that wasn't being fulfilled in any way. So it took me, uh, I would say, a year uh, to start feeling purpose again. I would say that that was the biggest change. I didn't work as much and I didn't, I lacked a sense of purpose, but I'm kind of over that now. And I've started a new project and uh, I feel a lot better after I started having something to do. Mm -hmm. I thought I could read and I could, you know, exercise more and just enjoy life. But uh, I don't think that's something I really can do. It's just not my personality. I need to have some project to obsess about. Yeah. I can't like choose what it is that, I'm going to be obsessed about. I was going to be, <laughs> I was going to become an investor, but uh, I wasn't able to focus on it really. Um, so I just started building another website instead.
0: Yeah, I, I can definitely <laughs> relate to that. So I kind of, although I didn't sell my website, I kind of retired and, for lack of a better term, around three four years ago. And yeah, I can certainly feel, because there's a lot of our identities wrapped up in these websites, you know, and so giving it up is giving up part of your identity at the end of the day. Yeah. I think the fact that both of us were not so public, I think that helps also soften the transition. Because if you are this public figure that suddenly disappears, you would lose all the like connection with people you know traveling around the world maybe for speaking engagements so that's a much more drastic change yeah than just uh, writing
1: yeah i agree so some like bloggers and website owners become like they become like celebrities and they have their picture everywhere And yeah i never did that and uh it doesn't fit my personality
0: yeah I, i struggle a lot with that actually i I don't really do interviews much or like I said, you know, I, I'd rather focus on the content for whatever reason. I don't even understand why exactly myself, but I'd rather, I don't like to self-promote kind of, but not for an ideological reason, just because I don't particularly like it. Yeah. So I don't think I'd ever be able to build courses and do, build email funnels and all this stuff that people do to make money from content websites
1: <laughs> yeah i i tried that but i wasn't able to you know exaggerate in the way that people need to do to make that kind of thing successful
0: you're too icelandic and less <laughs> yeah <laughs> less american <laughs> yeah you could say that <laughs> i found it comes very natural to americans yeah because they're surrounded you know I, the first time i visited the u.s i was just bombarded by all the advertisement that you see even just driving down the street, you know, so that's when I really understood why they're so good at it, you know, because yeah. they're surrounded. Like their their whole life is everybody's promoting themselves to stand out.
2: Yeah, that <laughs> so, makes yeah. sense.
0: I presume from the few Icelandic friends that I have, it's very low key and everybody sticks to his own thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's true. All
0: right, so... Let's talk about monetization, though, since we were talking about this. How did you go about... Because obviously, you were starting this as a passion project, I imagine. And at some point, you must have realized that there's money to be made from the website. At what point did that occur? And what were the steps you took to monetize it without switching your focus totally on money and marketing?
2: Yeah,
1: I actually did think about monetization from the start and it was always, okay. I wanted to make money uh, from the website and like almost as soon as I started it, I put Google AdSense ads on it. Okay. And uh, that was my main monetiz- monetization method uh, moving forward. So I, di- I did end up using some other display networks, um, some affiliate ads, but it was almost like 90% of the revenue was display ads. the start interesting i tried writing some ebooks and selling them but it was never really successful it was always the ads that brought in most of the money one time i tried to build like a meal plan subscription service we had like maybe a thousand paying subscribers but we weren't charging much like five dollars a month so it wasn't you know just one of many things that i tried that didn't end up being worth the effort basically the only thing that really worked was the display ads interesting i was also reading you know these blogs from the other marketers and they were you know telling me how i could make an email list and you know you know with a thousand subscribers i could make this ton of money and i was i was at one point i was getting like five thousand subscribers every day to my email list wow but (laughs) that was never a revenue driver really i just used it to get traffic if i tried sending like some ads to the email list i never got many conversions it never really worked for me so you never tried
0: affiliate marketing for example
1: i did have some amazon links in some of my articles um like if i was talking about a supplement i would link to the search page on amazon for a green tea extract or something Mm -hmm. so i wasn't promoting a particular product just telling people you know if you want to buy it here's the amazon search yeah i did get make some money from the affiliate links but it was just, you know, kind of supplementary to the display ads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot. Of, there are a lot of affiliate programs in nutrition. You know, a lot of them are weight loss related, and I just couldn't really believe that firmly in the programs to be able to yeah. actually promote them effectively. Mm-hmm. Because I know that most of it isn't going to work. That's just how it is. But would
0: the would there be a chance of the display ads showing these products?
1: Yeah, definitely. I uh, I didn't really uh, do any filtering of of the what showed up in the ads. I just let Google decide.
0: Yeah, I guess for people, it's obvious that they're ads as well most of the time.
2: Yeah. So it's less
0: sneaky than putting an affiliate link with your recommendation, as you would do for an affiliate link.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. So tell me about life in Thailand. Did you move there recently or was it always the case that you lived in Thailand and Iceland?
1: I've always lived in Iceland. I've traveled to Thailand many times, but uh, I had been dreaming about having a second home in Thailand Mm -hmm. for a few years. And I ended up just uh, like two months ago, I rented a house here in uh, Bangkok. Bangkok. And I'm currently uh, living here with my girlfriend. I've been here about two months now, which is the longest time I've ever been away from home in Iceland. But uh, I decided I would just stay here throughout the uh, coronavirus lockdowns. Uh, There's not much to do in Iceland. And uh, here I live in like a closed village and I can just go walk outside every day in the sun. Nice. Yeah, but I'm not going to stay here permanently. But uh, I have a girlfriend here, so I'm planning to spend... A lot of time here but i still have my apartment in iceland and i'm gonna keep that
0: nice i've lived in chiang mai for a while in northern uh, thailand i really enjoyed the time there yeah it's a wonderful country 2012 yeah 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 that's definitely it shifts your perspective on life as well in many ways living in a place where the culture is so different so I, i definitely Feel that it taught me a lot of lessons yeah i agree all right so uh, let's talk about the finance project yes so you said that after i i assume i had the money to invest after the sale so you started obsessing about what to do with the money which was yeah that's what that's what i would do (laughs) yeah so and that's when you started learning i presume about investing and all the opportunities So, and I also read that you started a company for investing. Is that still uh, on?
1: Yes. So I have a a company so that I own the company, but the company owns the investments. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's uh, that's much more uh, practical from a tax standpoint. So, And uh, in in Iceland? Yeah, it's registered in Iceland. Uh, Skukje Capital is the name.
0: Why is it beneficial to have a company for tax purposes?
1: So if you if you buy something and then sell it at a higher price, then you have to pay capital gains tax of the difference, which is uh, in Iceland, it's, I think, 21% now. But uh, if you hold the investments inside an investment company, then you don't have to pay the capital gains tax until you actually uh, withdraw the money from the company. So... Okay,
0: similar to Estonia yeah, then.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so if you if you're buying and selling a lot and getting these capital gains then it's better to have uh, the money inside a company in Iceland.
2: For sure.
0: Cool. So then you would pay the 21% when you withdraw the money from the company.
1: Yes, but uh I didn't put all my money in the company. I just put a big sum and uh, I haven't had to withdraw any money from it and i don't plan to for at least a few years so i can just keep the money in there investing it and uh, growing it
0: all right and uh, so what's your current investment scenario what asset classes have you been looking at or investing in
1: so i've mostly been investing in stocks and some stock etfs i like internet tech companies because that's, that's what I understand. So I did invest a lot in uh, Facebook, Google, uh, Microsoft, uh, those types of companies, as well as some Chinese uh, internet companies, Alibaba, Tencent. But uh, my thinking with these uh, investments was that these companies just would continue to grow because they're so dominant in their markets. They have such massive competitive advantages. But I actually... Uh, so the stock market crashed uh, very recently uh, when the yeah. coronavirus became uh, a problem in the U.S. I actually sold everything like two weeks ago. I sold all my stocks and uh, right now I'm, I'm mostly in cash. So I missed the opportunities to sell before the crash, mm-hmm. which I definitely should have done because the market was making all-time highs even though yeah. you know the virus was just becoming a massive problem globally. But I missed the I missed the opportunity to do that. But then my stocks recovered like half from the crash, and I decided just to get out while I still had decent profits.
0: Uh, so you 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 sold after the recovery?
1: Yeah. So there there was a big crash and then a recovery and then I sold because you know usually in these uh these uh recession stock markets they recover and then they drop again. Yeah. I think it's gonna drop again and go even lower than than before
0: yeah it seems to me that people are not really understanding the implications of the this lockdown and the standstill in economy. yeah, so it feels a bit ridiculous for stocks and other asset classes to bounce back so early when people are still in lockdown, and we don't know the effects. I mean, we know the effects of on the GDP because uh, businesses have already been closed for in Spain here. More than a month, so yeah, it's obvious that Spain's GDP will be less ten percent just because we've been on a standstill for this long. But there are obvious other effects that we haven't yet anticipated, or I mean, we anticipate there being effects, but we don't know what they will be exactly.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So it's a very uncertain
1: environment, and it seems like the market is expecting us to recover completely when like this is going to end after a few weeks or months and then the market is just going to recover completely. But I just can't see that happening. I think there are going to be large scale bankruptcies and possibly a financial crisis because of that. It's going to, you know, you know, when bankruptcies start to happen, it affects the people lending to those companies that went bankrupt and it kind of goes up the chain, wreaks havoc throughout the economy. So that's what I'm expecting to happen. That's going to be like the next phase mm-hmm. of the uh, of this crash. Yeah.
0: I think I'm very interested in how the global scenario will play out. Because, like say, America can just pump in the dollars into the economy. But what about the rest of the world? How will it affect them? You know, Europe, for example, countries have much less control since they are all within the eurozone. Yeah. So they're so much more tricky here.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I've also wondered about like, you know, the federal reserve in the U S is pumping money into the markets and apparently that's what caused the recovery. People just assume that that they can just save everything and just print more money. But I think Japan did that like in the 1990s, but their stock market didn't recover even though they just printed Mm -hmm. massive amounts. I'm not convinced that, you know, they can just solve this by printing money.
0: Yeah. So you're focused mostly on, on stocks? Yes. As an asset class? Have you taken a look at crypto, for example? I know mining is big in Iceland. Crypto mining.
2: Yeah, I uh
1: I, I was never uh too interested in it. I tried reading about it, but I just didn't understand it. I tried to read some articles and gain an understanding, but I kinda never figured out how it worked. So mm-hmm. and I, I just I prefer stocks because I know, like, I know what they represent. They represent ownership in the companies and uh, that definitely appeals to me.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: All right. And so now you're writing about what you're learning, basically, from what I understand about like a lot of articles about stocks, which I found very interesting. One question I keep asking is ETFs versus funds. Yeah. I wondered what did you end up choosing for your own investments, ETFs or funds?
1: Uh, I prefer ETFs. Yeah, there are also, I think there are some restrictions. Uh, If you're European, like which uh, funds, like US funds you can buy. Mm -hmm. And uh, ETFs just seem so so flexible, so easy to get in and out. So uh, that's what I prefer. Yeah.
0: Okay. I, I actually have a friend who's big into fitness and nutrition and had a question for you. Okay. <laughs> so he was asking me, because he was a big follower of your website. So when I mentioned that I'm going to interview you, it was, he told me, like, ask him this question. It, the question is about simple carbs vs. complex carbs. Yeah. And which, which are the best in your opinion? Or what's the mix?
1: So I don't like thinking about them personally as simple versus complex. I think just whole foods Mm -hmm. versus processed foods. Right. Um, if, if you're getting the carbs from whole foods, then they're usually pretty good. But if it's, if it's a processed food, then they're probably not good. But I've kind of, uh, changed my thinking over the years about, about things like rice. So many people consider white rice to be simple carbs and like brown rice to be complex, but I think uh, both are good. I think white rice is just as good as brown. I wouldn't think about simple versus complex carbs, just whole foods versus processed foods. I think that's a better way to think about it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because like when I got into nutrition myself, I started, you know, deep diving into all these fads of the times, the keto, paleo, whatever. Yeah. And so my my mom kept always telling me, like, what are you doing? It's like (sighs) a bit of everything is the only rule that matters, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: From what we we, we eat, the Mediterranean diet. I guess it's a healthy diet with a bit of everything, really. Yeah. But, you know, I wanted to fine tune. And kind of over the years, it seems that we do come full circle back to (laughs) this bit of everything. Yeah. With a focus on, yeah, with a focus on non-processed eating real foods, you know, and non-processed foods. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. I I guess my view now is that unless you want to do something very specific, it doesn't really make sense to go that deep into nutrition because if you're eating real food, it's like you can't go wrong. Yeah. Maybe you'll add a, a bit of extra fat or, or whatever. But for being healthy, at least a Mediterranean diet is certainly, at least to me as a non expert, looks uh, pretty good to me.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think as long as you're eating whole foods, then uh, it's really hard to fail with that approach. Like, you know, from from vegan to keto, I mean, if it's, Based on whole foods, it usually works pretty well, just depending on a person, what's best. Mm -hmm. And what's
0: your take on vitamins? Do people need them in general or not really?
1: I don't think most people really need them. I think, you know, they can be beneficial for people who have a deficiency because they're not eating a variety diet. But I think, like, for 99% of people, they don't need vitamins. I mean, they can take them, they're not going to cause any harm, but. I doubt that they have any actual benefits but you know there are some supplements that can definitely have benefits like uh, creatine and uh there are a lot of herbs that that have some research behind them for specific purposes but i don't think really most people need to take them a lot of the uh, benefits that people feel are just
2: uh, placebo effects Mm
0: -hmm. would you recommend like for a sedentary person versus a person who's actively training what are the major differences that you would say they should take care of in their in the nutrition aspect?
1: I think if someone is exercising, they need more protein and especially if they're trying to build muscle, then it can help to eat more protein and take a, a creatine supplement. But I think like the the main difference if you exercise more, you just need more calories. But that's just, you know, for the average person. For athletes, it definitely changes. They have like specific nutrition requirements that helps them maximize performance but uh, I'm based on their sport as well. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I also ran across a, a Biggest Lies of Mainstream Nutrition article. Yeah. Which I, yeah, things that I had read over the years, but I wonder if we could mention them, some of the biggest lies in your opinion that we might not be aware about.
2: Uh, yeah.
1: I yeah this was actually the article i wrote 11 biggest lies of mainstream nutrition that kind of uh that went viral that was early after i started the site and this article was kind of what gave the uh the site the initial momentum and i got tons of links tons of subscribers facebook likes etc so in my opinion um the biggest lie is probably the saturated fat this myth that saturated fat is a key driver of heart disease i just uh, research doesn't support it. I think some saturated, saturated fats could be bad for some people, but on average, it, it doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So, and this kind of uh, it seems like a small thing, like it's not something most people are thinking about. But this myth has kind of uh, been like the foundation of a lot of nutrition policy over the decades, which has had some uh, consequences, in my opinion.
0: Yeah what What about bread? Do you think that people should try to limit bread or white versus brown, or is it similar to the rice argument that we mentioned earlier?
1: I think it depends on the person. Some people should not eat bread or they should try to limit it. Some people tend to binge eat when they eat things with a lot of wheat in it, in my opinion. I think whole grain bread is definitely better than white bread, uh, but I think, For some people, bread is just a problematic food. But I don't think it's unhealthy per se. I just think it doesn't work for some people to eat bread.
0: Another interesting thing I read is about coffee. Yeah. So I like coffee and I always get these mixed messages about coffee from the news. You know, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's good. Yeah. And uh, I found it interesting that, according to you, there's many antioxidants which are important and found in coffee. I found that interesting that it has these benefits apart from the stimulant aspect of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, coffee, you know, the beans, the coffee beans, um, when the water, hot water goes through them, it extracts, you know, the color and the caffeine, but also all the antioxidants in the coffee beans. Coffee is actually a pretty concentrated source of antioxidants. I think it's actually the biggest source of antioxidants in a diet for many people. Wow. So coffee definitely does have some health benefits. Population studies show that people who drink a lot of coffee have a lower risk of many diseases, like uh, Parkinson's, liver disease, diabetes even, I think.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's that's a very common uh, health problem these days. Mm-hmm. Coffee shows that it can reduce the risk by over 50%, which is just really, it's a lot.
0: And is there like a range of amount of coffee that one should stay with them
1: yeah i think day. the studies say like three to four cups is a good intake i think personally i drink a lot more but i'm not really drinking it for the health benefits it's just i enjoy drinking it so the health benefits are a bonus
0: yeah have you found the timing important though
1: yes definitely so i try to uh, drink coffee earlier in the day i can't drink coffee in the evening then it then i can't fall asleep so I think if you're drinking coffee and it's affecting your sleep, then those negative effects may outweigh the benefits. So it's definitely better to drink coffee early in the day so you can sleep.
0: Do you switch to other beverages in the evening?
1: Yeah, I drink I drink water. I also drink some Pepsi Max. It has a tiny bit of caffeine, but just very little compared to the coffee. Right. In the evening, uh, I drink Pepsi Max and then I switch to water. Um, a few hours before bed
0: and did you do you find any other teas that have similar benefits to coffee
1: i'm not really a tea person but green tea and like caffeinated tea has a lot of the same benefits for sure
0: yeah i've tried various teas i kind of think that with tea it's more a question of what you've grown up with you know i find it very hard to Learn the taste of, say, mate from Argentina or South America. Yeah. Or matcha as well. Very distinctive taste that is hard to learn to like.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I've tried the teas, but I always come back to the coffee. Mm-hmm. That's
0: true. I have one last question for you. Okay. Something that I'm struggling with. I wonder if you have any feedback. How do you manage your expectations on yourself? <laughs> If this is an issue for you, or maybe not. But for me, it's very hard to kind of because I get so obsessed and I'm reading a lot and I want to read more and then I need to write about it. So sometimes things get overwhelming.
2: Yeah.
1: I've kind of uh, just accepted that I have limits. I'm the kind of person that can really just focus on one big thing at a time. Mm -hmm. And I've basically just accepted that I'm not going to be able to read a lot of books or do a lot of things other than my work it's definitely a problem you don't have enough time in a day mm.
0: i found it highlighted in uh, when living abroad especially in thailand We also lived in mexico where there's this kind of urge to explore and learn about this new place you're in yeah but at the same time you love you love working and you love writing I like to find the balance in those situations. is really hard.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so people often ask me what I'm doing. Like, what are you doing in Thailand? What are you doing? You know, <laughs> when when I travel somewhere and, you know, mostly I just, I just work, yeah. you know, I go out to mm-hmm. eat and stuff. So I enjoy the travel, but I'm still mostly bound to the same place and working in a day.
0: Right. So, so to finish off, what's your favorite dish in Thailand?
1: Um, so, Thai food is really spicy and I don't really tolerate spicy food so well. So I would say uh, fried rice. That's something I enjoy, just fried rice with some soy sauce. Yeah. Mm.
0: I used to enjoy this dish where they have a, a pineapple sliced and then they have rice with chicken. I don't know if you've tried Yeah, it. I think so. Yeah, it's really good. That's a, it's a really good one because you have the rice and the sweetness from the pineapple yeah.
1: inside. It's really good. Yeah, there's a lot of good food here, but unfortunately I can't eat the spicy food. That's what most other Thai people seem to enjoy the most. Yeah, (laughs) for sure.
0: Well, thank you very much for being with us. And to repeat, for people who want to reach out to you or visit your latest project, where can we find you?
1: Yeah, so my website is uh, stockanalysis.com and I'm also on Twitter under Chris Gunners. That's pretty much everything, really.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much for being with us. And we'll see you all in the next episode of Mastermind.fm. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Mastermind.fm. If you liked what you heard in today's episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback encourages us to keep producing the kind of content that you have come to rely on for your own entrepreneurial journey. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the show, send it to us through our website or via email at podcast at mastermind.fm or even connect with us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. We look forward to hearing from you and hope
2: you have a fantastic week.